Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 23rd of October 2022, 11 o'clock service. Katie Loffman speaking on getting the most out of personal time with God. It's great to be here in church, worship, worshipping together, isn't it? And we get so much out of all the things that church has to offer us. And we've been hearing about some of those over the last few weeks. But church is only one part of our relationship with God. Like any relationship, our relationship with God needs time to grow. Time spent just the two of us. Just you and God. Me and God. Alone together. Time spent listening and talking. Reading the Bible and praying. The traditional name for this time alone with God is quiet time. Quiet time is usually first thing in the morning and it usually consists of reading the Bible, thinking about what we've read and praying. I remember as a child sometimes coming downstairs in the morning and seeing my mum sitting at the table with her Bible in front of her, getting some quiet time with God before we got up and started making demands. Quiet time is a daily discipline that's been practised by people in the church for centuries in different forms and later in this sermon I'll be looking at some of the things that we can do in that time. To me it's a kind of gold standard to aspire to. Every day, first thing in the morning, time alone with God. I have to confess that although I don't, although I aspire to it, I don't always manage it. Sometimes I go through phases when I get into a good routine of waking up nice and early to read my Bible and pray before I start my day. At other times, it's hard to fit it in. That first half hour of the day gets swallowed up by all kinds of other things, including sleep. And it's far too easy to just pick up the phone and get distracted, and once that happens, it's fatal. I act as if my time with God has to fit in around everything else, and that's if it gets fitted in at all. But that's not how it should be. Time alone with God needs to be intentional or else it gets squeezed out. Daniel was someone who gave his quiet time a high priority. The early chapters of the book of Daniel are full of accounts of his wisdom, his gifts of interpreting dreams and his faithfulness to God in the face of persecution. In chapter 6, we find out where that wisdom and bravery comes from. Verse 10, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed. He was a man living in exile, so he prayed by his window, looking out in the direction of his homeland, towards Jerusalem, the place where God came to the temple to meet with his people. And God met with Daniel there in his room. Many times he answered Daniel's prayers so that Daniel could serve his master, the king, well and run the country with integrity and conscientiousness. David's faith, sorry, Daniel's faith was challenged over and over again. The first time we hear about was when Daniel first arrived in Babylon as a young nobleman in exile. He was one of a group of people who were chosen for an elite education in Babylonian ways so that they could enter the king's service. Part of the deal was that they would be given the same food as the king. 
Now, this was a problem for Daniel. As an Israelite, he wants to eat according to God's law. No shellfish, no mixing meat and milk, etc. Not easy in a Babylonian palace. So Daniel persuaded the official to give them a vegetarian diet so that they wouldn't break God's law. And they thrived. Daniel didn't compromise his faith. He wanted to follow God's commands in his own life and he kept God's law alive for future generations in the midst of that non-Jewish culture. Three years passed. Daniel graduates from the king's training scheme with flying colours and becomes a highly respected official in the king's palace. More years go by and there's a new king, Darius, And he was so impressed with what a good job Daniel was doing that he planned to make him second in command, running the whole country. Well, we heard in our reading what happened next. The Babylonian leaders were so jealous that they decided to bring him down. But there was no scandal that they could pin on him because Daniel was incorruptible. So eventually they resorted to attacking his faith. They got the king to pass a new law, forcing everyone to worship King Darius. Praying to any god became illegal. The penalty? To be thrown into the lion's den. Now, from what we know of Daniel, I'm sure you can remember what happens next. He goes home and prays to God, and the Bible says, just as he had before. But this time, someone is spying on him. And Daniel is carted off to the lion's den. Daniel, who had been so faithful all his life, continues to be faithful, even when the penalty is death. That time alone with God is what gave him the bravery to resist blasphemy and idolatry. Even to defy the king, whether it was over what he ate or who he worshipped. It's time alone with God that was his guiding light giving him the wisdom he needed to govern the country well. It was his time alone with God that gave him the strength to remain faithful and obedient to God, even when it meant death. Daniel was a very important man and probably extremely busy, but his time with God was the powerhouse of a life of faith. And it's that which meant that he could rise to the challenges of his demanding life. And it's the same for us. Time alone with God is the powerhouse of our own life. It gives us wisdom and understanding and guidance for the things that we have to do. It makes us brave to do the right thing when it's not easy. And when we spend time with God, it keeps us faithful to be the person that God wants us to be. We need that guiding light. But Daniel's life goes beyond that. He was a prophet, and the second half of the book goes on to tell us some of the visions that he had, which help us to understand God's plan for for the world. It shows how time spent alone with God makes us sensitive and open to God speaking to us. But going back to chapter 6 and the persecution that Daniel suffered, when I read this chapter something really struck me and that was the similarities between what happens to Daniel and some of the things that happened to Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. 
Like Jesus, Daniel was in trouble for living a godly life and being incorruptible. So a twisted plot was hatched to kill him. And both rely on a betrayer to get the job done. When they know that their life is in danger, both Jesus and Daniel spend time alone with God, preparing for what's to come and gaining strength from God. I don't know if it was unusual in those days to seal stones, but this detail really stood out to me. Daniel and Jesus are sealed up. A stone is rolled across the entrance and that stone is sealed to make sure that they die and stay dead. Early in the morning, people who care about them rush to the scene expecting the worst, only to find death has been defeated. Both Daniel and Jesus are alive. And there are other similarities too. The guilty conscience of the king, echoed by Pilate and his wife. The intervention of an angel. And even the jeers of the crowd, let God rescue him, was said to Daniel as well as to Jesus. You see, what happened to Daniel was not random. It was a prefiguring of Jesus. Just as God rescued Daniel, so he would rescue Jesus, and ultimately us too. Daniel went on to have a long and successful career at the palace, but he was also a prophet. The rest of the book of Daniel is his visions and prophecies of kingdoms that will rise and fall, and of the Son of Man, who will usher in an eternal kingdom. But Daniel not only told us about Jesus, he lived it out too. And those insights came to him through his personal time with God. This meant that when Matthew came to write his gospel, it made sense for him to make those connections in his narrative to help us to recognise that it's Jesus who rescues and saves. He is the Son of Man, whose kingdom will never be destroyed. 600 years later, Jesus came. He was also an extremely busy man. But like Daniel, he carved out time from his schedule to be alone with God. He didn't just wait for times when there was nothing else going on. He deliberately made the time. Often in the Gospels, we see him leaving the crowds and going up a hill to be with his father to pray by himself. As with Daniel, that time was the powerhouse of his ministry. It kept him firmly anchored in his relationship with God. It was the guiding light, <coughs> guiding light that kept him faithful to the task that God had given him, faithful to God's will. So how can we do the same? How do we train our eyes on that guiding light well, Jesus has given us some instructions, and we heard them in our second reading. The first thing Jesus says is, go into your room and shut the door, just as Daniel did. It's a private thing. Jesus stresses that we're praying to our Father, because he loves us and he sees into our hearts. He knows already what we need. So Jesus says we don't need to use lots of words or say anything hypocritical. It won't wash. Instead, Jesus gives us a simple form of words to say what's in our heart, the Lord's Prayer. 
But it's more than a prayer. It's a template for our time with God, whether we use those actual words or not. So we start by praising God. We acknowledge our relationship with him. He's our father. We're his child. And we approach him with reverence because he's holy. Next, we pray for the spread of God's kingdom throughout the world, for people to live for him here, just as the angels and God's people do in the spiritual realm. Every time we act in the way God wants us to, and every time we express God's love, we're advancing his kingdom here on earth. So we pray for guidance in all that we do, for big and small decisions, or to know the wise way to act in a situation we find ourselves in. We pray to discern God's will so that we can live in the right way. But it's not all about doing the right thing. God knows we need to eat too. He knows there's a cost of living crisis. And Jesus tells us to ask God for what we need. And then we ask for his forgiveness, for anything we're not proud of, for our sins. We ask God to remind us of the things we've done during the day that we shouldn't have done. And in return, he expects us to forgive anyone who's done us wrong. And this is the place to do that, in our time alone with God. We ask for his grace to take away any grudges or resentments that we're holding. And to fill our heart with forgiveness that we've received from him. And that bit's really important because the next thing Jesus says is that if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven ourselves. And that would be awful. And finally, Jesus tells us to ask for protection from temptation and and for strength to resist. Just as Daniel was delivered from the lions, we ask God to deliver us, to rescue us from the dangers and the sufferings of life and to save us from harm. So that's Jesus' formula for how to pray when we're alone with God. Get in the right frame of mind with some praise, ask for his guidance, bring our needs to him, give, uh, uh, ask and give forgiveness, lean on God to rescue us. And that's a really useful structure for our daily quiet time. If we can cover all of those, we're doing really well. But time alone with God includes listening to God as well as talking to him. And one way to do that is through the Bible. There are lots of apps and booklets that help us to read the Bible. But I'd just like to share three different ways that I read the Bible. One of my favourite ways is to use the chain reference in the NIV study Bible. This is my NIV study Bible. It's a bit battered now, but... um, uh, it's, it costs £35. It's a bit expensive, but you can get them secondhand. This one is good for Bible study. And it has explanations at the bottom of the page and some maps and all sorts of information at the back. But it's the chain reference that I enjoy. You can see in verse 14 of Daniel chapter 6, it says that the king was greatly distressed about Daniel having to be put to death. And then in the margin, it points to Mark 6, verse 26. And that's the account of John the Baptist's beheading. And again, it says there that the king was greatly distressed at John the Baptist having to be beheaded. 
I find those kind of connections really fascinating, very thought-provoking. You can follow a person or an idea being developed in different parts of the Bible, and it really gives me a deeper understanding of what the Bible is saying. Another way of reading the Bible is Lectio Divina, which is more, con more contemplative. You pick a passage, like, for example, a parable or a psalm, and you read it slowly, twice, allowing the words to sink into your mind. Maybe read it out loud to yourself. Then you spend a few minutes in silence, thinking through the passage, and you look for a phrase to stand out. And when it does, you focus on that phrase in silence. Then you read the passage through again, maybe twice, and spend a few minutes in silence again, and look for a single word to strike you. It may be a word from the previous phrase, or it might be something completely different. And after that, you read the, phrase, the passage again, thinking about your day and your everyday life. And then you ask God to speak to you through it. And, to spend another, and then you spend another few minutes in silence applying the phrase or the word to something in your life. Let it speak into something that you need to do or show you a way that you need to change or perhaps bring to mind something that you need to talk to God about. And finally, pray that God will enable you to live out what you've just heard from him. That's Lectio Divina. And the third thing I'd like to recommend is an app called Lectio 365. It's a 10-minute meditation for every day, morning and evening. You listen to a couple of verses of the Bible, then the voice helps you to think it through and apply it to your life. There are times for thinking with meditative music and some prayers too. It's very soothing and it's very easy and it's only 10 minutes but it helps you to start and end the day with God. And I like to do it before I get up, but this man from their website is listening while he's out and about. And that's something I'd just like to end on. Where do we spend time alone with God? Sometimes and places are better than others, and you'll know what works for you. But, in the, but the most important thing is that we do it. Some people listen to the Bible on headphones on the train, some people pray while they're out walking or at their desk at lunchtime. It just needs to be somewhere where you can focus without being disturbed. Of course, we can pray to God anywhere at any time. And that can be like spiritual snacking through the day. But we also need a dedicated time alone with him, like a good meal. It's important nourishment for our spiritual health. So let's be like Daniel. Let's copy Jesus. Daniel was a living prophecy of Jesus, and we'll be a living prophecy of God's kingdom, a kingdom filled with the praise, plenty, and forgiveness of the Lord's Prayer. And just like Daniel and Jesus, our time alone with God is our powerhouse and our guiding light, and we can't do without it.